Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Tonight, we're going to be going over some players we think are a little low in the ADP now, but could be rising up the board by September. Uh, maybe some guys that you should be trading for now, uh, you know, even if you don't necessarily believe in them, maybe get a little value spike and then go ahead and uh, sell them a little bit later. Uh, we also have a very special guest tonight. Uh, we have Aton Mosia from the Dynasty Diagnostic uh, pod. I think he might be uh, on a couple other pods, or at least he, I've heard him on a lot of other pods, <laughs> even if he's not necessarily a part of them. Uh, so welcome, Aton. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. John Crescent, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Uh, I'm ready to roll, man. I'm, I'm just really excited about the potential NFL season that's uh, that's coming our way and about the uh, – <laughs> The certain draft, at least, that's that's coming pretty pretty shortly. So, uh, I'm just excited to to talk about whatever there is uh, that will have any uh, any bearing on on what happens for the future of the NFL. Yeah, I, I think we all need the draft to get here. Like we're desperate for sports at this point. I know I'm like thirsting for it. I think I just saw someone mention on FanDuel they have like. Um, daily cooking something or something like that they have like a, a tab for cooking now people are you know doing dfs for cooking so oh, i think we really need we need sports back man what are you even talking about league of legends is taking over the world right now people are betting like million dollar sums on league of legends right now yeah that's yeah. true <laughs> how do you guys feel about the virtual draft any any feelings about that yeah um i think that we're gonna see a lot of mistakes because there's just like these guy, like these GMs, one, not a lot of them are tech savvy. And if they have to be isolated in their homes, like, I mean, we've already seen the Gettleman set up so people can mock him and make fun of that. But even other GMs, right? Like they're, I don't know how well they're going to be able to adjust to this stuff and how, you know, how capable is Dan Snyder in handling some of this or Jerry Jones, who loves to have his hands in everything. Um, I think it's really going to change the makeup of the draft. I'm kind of interested in seeing how many trades happen. I think we're going to see a lot of weird stuff going on because they also haven't really got to interact with any of the players, right? They haven't got to interact with people they're drafting as much as they, they're used to. And you can only learn so much through a Zoom meeting. So uh, I'm kind of interested in seeing how that goes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there'll be some technical witches, but uh, Crescent, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, that's only part of the problem. The real problem is the fact that they've had no face-to-face -face contact with any of these prospects. Uh, pro day times, uh, the few pro days that took place, we don't know how accurate those are. And then there's a bunch of pro days that didn't take place. There's a bunch of guys that didn't participate in the combine thinking that they'd get a chance to in their pro days. So the information on the athletic profiles of a lot of these guys is incomplete. I think we're going to see more issues with that uh, than we are even going to see tech issues because these teams, they I mean, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Like, you really expect these teams to not have, you know, another an IT guy in the other room that nobody ever sees, but, you know, is helping them out with, with every technical glitch they have. Come on, man. Like, these are NFL teams. These are billion-dollar franchises. Somebody's going to cheat. Yeah, you see a random hand pushing on the mouse, like, from underneath exactly. the desk. <laughs> exactly. But do you, are, I mean, do you think that some of these GMs who are, they're very, they're pretty old. Some of these guys are pushing, you know, their sixties and stuff. You think they would want to risk letting someone into their home and potentially exposing themselves? Cause that, I think that could be a concern right there. I mean, I think when money's involved, people do weird things, people do strange things. And there's a lot of money riding on these draft picks, a first round pick, uh, for example, at the RB position, um, 
not saying that this should happen, but it probably will anyway. But a first-round pick at the RB position, that guy's already one of the top five, six highest-paid running backs in the league. So that just shows you the type of investment that these guys are making uh, in these picks. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, somebody will do something silly because money's on the line and, and, and these guys don't play with that. Yeah, and actually, I was just thinking while you're talking about uh, your show, the Dynasty Diagnostic, and and how you set people up when you know you bring on a guest and everything. And I feel like I just completely let you down, like based off of. I mean, you guys have like trumpets going on and stuff. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So I like you know I basically did like a little one liner, and I'm like, hey, it's Aton. So I I, th- I probably should have done a better job, but I guess I'm just not quite as good at at it as you are. Hey man, don't even worry about it. Snappy gives me shit pretty much every episode for it anyway. So. <laughs> I think it's just something that I kind of like to add in just to, to, to add to the fanfare of it all. But, hey, I, again, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. So speaking of the Dynasty Diagnostic, how did you get started? Uh, was it something you came up with, the Stompy, or, you know, how would that come around? Uh, Dynasty Diagnostic, uh, at least how the show runs, was, was pretty much my idea. Um, I wanted to create a podcast that was a little bit different than a lot of the things that you find in space. I found that one thing that wasn't being tackled was individual uh, rosters and individual thoughts about uh, certain players based on team situation, so on and so forth. Like there's so much, uh, there's so much knowledge. There's so much said about a, a lot of prospects, a lot of players um, in a general sense, but there's, there's nothing that really kind of guides you as to what this means for your particular team. So that's how I wanted to uh, separate the podcast uh, when I, uh, first had the idea for it and then as we've kind of grown uh, what I've also wanted to do is uh, figure out like the why and the what behind a lot of these metrics and behind a lot of the information that you're hearing coming out uh, from from the mouths of all these analysts uh, all over Twitter and you know just all over everywhere that some some of them are even involved in the NFL Uh, there's so much information out there that I believe it's very very important to understand the context uh, that surrounds uh, these numbers that are being thrown out and, and figure out what really does matter and what really you should probably push to the side so that's another thing I've been trying to incorporate it but man I absolutely uh, saying that would not at all be anywhere where we are with the Dynasty Diagnostic without Sam. Sam has been um, just the biggest hype presence uh, I could possibly imagine. Uh, Sam has been uh, with me with the, with the podcast through Thick and Thin. He, he's definitely been that guy that has sometimes brought the energy when I'm lacking it. He's also uh, been that guy that, to provide a lot of the analysis that's counter to whatever it is that I'm saying so people get both sides of the coin. So, um, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better uh, podcast co-host than Sam Lane, and I encourage everybody listening to this. I don't even care if you're, you're following me. Uh, definitely go ahead and follow Sam at, at FF Stump. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, we were kind of talking about it earlier, but, you know, the Dynasty Diagnostic isn't one of those, like, 30-minute shows or that, that kind of thing. Like, they really do dive deep. And so, like, it's just one of those things where, you know, you're going to have to, you know, take a little time out of your day, and, you know, it's worth it. But just go ahead and uh, kick back, grab a drink, and, and listen. There's yeah. several. There's several. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're quarantined anyways, right? You want to go on a nice long walk, get some sunshine or something while you maintain your social distance, just pop it in and walk, right? Like, That's I feel what like Crescent does every day. Yep. He goes every- for his daily walk and he listens to his pods. There you go. One other thing that, that I noticed, Aton, on your, on your Twitter bio is that you have some love for Cooper Cup and starting a little bit. every every week can you tell like why do you love cooper is it just a los angeles thing or what is it 
You know what? It is 100% not a Los Angeles thing. That actually has nothing to do with this entirely. I'm not a Rams fan, Broncos fan. So, yeah, nothing to do with, with him playing for uh, the Rams or whatnot. It has everything to do with how undervalued I feel like he's been throughout his entire career. I mean, he came uh, into the draft as a third-round pick. People were just dunking on him as, as much as they possibly could uh, into that draft season. And then he comes and then he produces as a rookie. And then people kind of continued to undervalue him saying, okay, well, you know, his best skills are route running. Route running is a skill that you acquire through age and he's an older prospect. So, you know, there isn't anything special to see here. And he said, okay. And he went and put up another great season. And then people still continue to dump on, dump on him and say, you know, this guy's an elite wide receiver. He's not the guy that, you know, really provides you that top echelon of talent at wide receiver wide receiver four last year and he's still going like outside the top 20 wide receivers in terms of dynasty rankings he's 26 years old I don't know what else the dude has to do to be on the upper echelon on that top list of one of the best uh, wide receivers uh, in the league right now I think he's shown uh, that he can be that I just I don't think that the the dynasty community or the football community as a whole is ever going to catch up uh, to him at that level, unless the the Rams get another shot at the at the Super Bowl and and, and he balls out. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at the DLF uh, ADP right now, and he for April's uh, DLF ADP he is at a wide receiver 23. So that's uh, that does seem a little crazy, especially when you like like you were saying. And honestly, like I I sold, I guess I sold low on him last year because of his injury and everything before the season started uh, I just didn't think he was going to be healthy for the you know for the start of the season I thought it was going to be a, you know obviously a longer progression progression and it didn't happen um, so I, you know I kind of regret that but uh, now obviously like we've had some changes here in the past like you know week or so like so I mean is it just that much better for you do you think nothing's changed or how are you feeling about that well, you guys talked to Peter Howard, and I'm sure if you talked to Peter Howard, he talked to you about vacated targets not really being a thing. Yep. That's, that's his mountain. That is where he has stood on this hill uh, for at least the, the remainder of the season. I think there's a lot to that. I don't know if I'm as gung-ho about it as he is, because I do believe that, I mean, just you know, looking numbers-wise, if a team's going to pass this many times, somebody has to catch those footballs. But at the same time, wide receiver targets are earned. Um, so if I'm projecting a major jump in targets for, for Cooper Cup, I don't necessarily know that I see that. But I think that the number of targets that he had last year and the year before that are just fine for, for him. He's shown you what he can do with that number of targets. What I do think is going to happen with the Rams, and I think what is something that you guys will even allude to um, later on in the podcast, is that we've seen a, a shift – uh, from the Rams being primarily a three wide receiver team uh, that's running 11 personnel uh, pretty much all the time. That was in Sean McVay's first year to uh, last year, especially shifting to more of a balance between 11 personnel and 21 personnel with those multiple uh, tight ends. I think we're going to see that more this season. I think Gerald Everett is going to get a lot more play than people give him credit for. Of course, Tyler Higby is definitely going to be in the mix. I think he's within a shout of being a top five tight end this season. I think there's that much meat on the bone left for him. Um, but the real issue is whether or not Cooper Cup is going to be able to uh, be pressed on the outside because we've seen uh, such success from Cooper Cup 
from the slot uh, being uncovered at the line of scrimmage, or at least just having that quick, you know, one one go choice route uh, that he can he can kind of put a move on, on on the DB that is lined up against him either way because he's lined up in the slot. If he's on the boundary, uh, that makes things a little bit more difficult. And if you look at some of Matt Harmon's numbers, uh, he has not succeeded on the boundary anywhere near uh, the way that he succeeded uh, in the slot. But again, I go back to what people thought about Cooper Cup before he was even drafted. People thought that this guy from, uh, I think it was Eastern Washington or something like that, uh, was, was a total nobody in that he would not even be an NFL caliber player. And he proved everyone wrong. Everybody thought last year that he was injured. And because he was injured, he was not going to be a valued receiver going into the season. Turns out he was better than he was in the first half of the previous season uh, off of that ACL injury. I think this is a dude that just has a giant chip on his shoulder. And I think if there's one way that we're going to be able to see that, it's going to be this year showing a more um, well-rounded skill set and, and actually winning against press on the outside and forcing teams to adapt. To that. Yeah, I like it. I, you know, like, like you said, we had Peter Howard on, um, you know, the whole vacated targets thing. I think, you know, the way my takeaway is that like, you know, you're not going to have, if 20% of the targets leave the team, you know, you know, somebody's not taking over those 20%, but you might get a percent here, a percent there, that kind of thing. So, you know, if he was, if he was getting uh, eight targets a game uh, last year, then I think he even said it in the pod. Uh, it's generally like one and a half more targets per game. Once a player, like a player of significance leaves. So like if he was getting eight targets last year, now he's getting nine and a half targets per game, you know, or nine and 10, whatever. And so, you know, that, that can make a difference over the course of a season. And, you know, that might be the difference between being a, a wide receiver 14 and a wide receiver eight or, you know, or, or wide receiver eight and a wide receiver five or that kind of thing. So, it, you know, it, it might not be a huge difference, but it could still be a difference. Oh yeah. To that point, I would say a, Peter is right in saying that a wide receiver demands targets. Demanding targets is a skill. I'm of the belief that Cooper Cup is good enough to demand extra targets this year, regardless of whether or not those vacated targets are are, are there for him to, to siphon away. Yeah, I mean, he had, what, like 134 targets, I think, or some something around there last year. So I can't imagine him getting, like, all that many more. Like, maybe we see 150, but that's still, I mean, that's a ton of targets. You want that guy on your team, no matter what, like if you're, if someone's getting targets, you want to have them rostered and maybe he doesn't finish wide receiver four, but I mean, if you're getting 150 targets, you're probably going to finish wide receiver, like one of the wide receiver ones at that rate. So um, I was just curious because I saw it on your, on your um, location. And I was like, why does this man love Cooper? Cup so much? <laughs> Until the day I die, man. Until the day I die. I don't even care if he's playing anymore. If Cooper Cup retires tomorrow, I'm going to play that man out of deference, out of respect. He's going to start on my rosters every week. Hey, you know what? He's going to be, what, an undrafted free agent this year, at the end of this year. Maybe he can get on to the Broncos, right? He can be that extra wide receiver for y'all. Not hey, after man. they draft all those wide receivers this year. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I'd be with it. I'd definitely be with it. I just hope it's not Henry Ruggs, but I guess we can get into that conversation a little bit later. Yeah. Okay, so our, our main focus for what this episode was going to be was we're trying to look at people who are we think are going to have a huge bump in ADP between drafts that are happening now because a lot of start, a lot of people right now, particularly because of the quarantine, are drafting starters, right? And they're really kind of in love with that. And so 
most normal people are going to be drafting in September. But for all of us who are a little bit more degenerate in drafting now, well, we want to think of who's going to have like a boost in ADP, who's going to be more valuable come the start of the season than they would be right now. And so we've kind of come up, I think each of us have come up with two different people that we're going to talk about or bring up and discuss. Um, and so I'm going to start and then we can kind of rotate through everyone um, going back and forth. So the guy, the first guy I want to bring up is Daryl Henderson. We just did a, a mock draft with some other, with some other people that are, you know, throughout the fantasy Twitter universe, like John Bauer. Um, and he went nine, eight in our mock draft in a super flex league mock draft. And I just think he's not, he's not getting the respect that he's going to get down the line because a lot of people are afraid that they're the Rams are going to draft another running back. And while there are a lot of running backs in this draft, I don't know if they're going to be spending a high draft capital on one. And so Dalton guru at Dalton guru FF, he talked, he did this little study where he looked at teams that drafted a running back in the first round, second round, third round, and then how often they drafted a running back early the following year. And he's found that, running backs drafted in the third round were replaced by another running back the following year, about 18% of the time. So one out of every five teams, pretty much. The Rams spent extra draft capital landing Daryl Henderson, right? I think they traded two third rounds to move up and take him. And so they don't have a lot of draft capital this year. I know they gained a second by trading Cooks, but they still have a lot of holes. They have holes on the O-line, they have holes on the D line, they have secondary issues to address, right? They have to improve their defense. They kind of started to fall apart at the end last year. They may even need to draft Cooper Cup's replacement if he leaves an undrafted free agency because they can't afford him. And I just don't see them spending a high draft capital on Daryl Henderson. And so I think we'll see his ADP move from somewhere in the ninth, 10th round of Superflexes, maybe up into the fifth, sixth round because of the offense that he's in, because of what he can do, what he showed, um, you know, coming into the league as a prospect. I know he wasn't utilized as much last year, but he did have some some flashes and some plays last year when he did get utilized. And I know there's concern of Malcolm Brown being there, but I think ultimately his youth and his ability are going to win out over a guy who I think is pretty average in that backfield. What was considered an early pick? Another third, like third or earlier? Yeah, third and third and above. Okay. Yeah, I don't really see them drafting someone uh, super early, but I mean, like you said, they do have two seconds. I want to say they have two fourths as well. Um, I, you know, I don't think that they're going to use uh, any of the seconds on that. Uh, they obviously need to go O-line and, and that kind of thing. They have a lot of other needs there, but I could definitely see them, you know, going for somebody in the fourth and, you know, it's, uh, it might not be anything that's going to like save the team or anything, but you know, this has been considered like a loaded draft class as far as running backs and everything. So, you know, you could definitely see somebody, obviously we know like literally every single team has uh, looked at Zach Moss. So <laughs> it, it could be something like that. And then, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he could have a role at that point. According to Walter football, they've only met with two running backs, Darrington okay. Evans who at the combine. And then they had, um, I think it's the pro day for Jason Huntley, who is not going to be drafted early at all. Evans may, maybe, but I don't think those other guys are going to be going or, or the other guys going to go early. Yeah. I don't know if I'm all the way there on, on Daryl Henderson. And maybe this is because I was completely on the other side of where people were drafting him last year. Uh, I think we had, 
like huge, huge guys uh, in the industry. I think we had Matt Harvin come on uh, the podcast last year and say that uh, he uh, was drafting Daryl Henderson at like the 105. And like, I, I just did not get it. I never understood why uh, this was happening because this was a guy that just wasn't in the greatest situation just based on the opportunity that was going to be available to him, even if Todd Gurley was hurt. Um, I mean, the man's not dead. He's still alive. I still see him playing football. If not, if it's not him, there's a guy that's wearing his jersey playing on Sundays. So, like, I, I just – I don't know where that came from. But, I mean, even putting that aside, even if the Rams don't draft a running back – and I think the Rams are going to draft a running back – but even if they don't draft a running back, it's not going to be the Daryl Henderson show. I think it's going to be, at best – a 50-50 split with Malcolm Brown. And I think Malcolm Brown is going to get the high value target or the high value touches in that offense between the 20 yard line and the goal line. I think that's going to be Malcolm Brown's area. Now, if there is something for uh, Henderson to at least hang his head on, it's that he is going to be a receiver in that situation between the two. So he's going to get some, some decent value targets um, or some decent value touches in terms of targets. But I, I don't necessarily know if, I'm not selling him right now because people think he's going to be the three down back. I don't think he, he's going to maintain that role. And I just think that this is a, a prime opportunity to, to sell him while you can, while people are kind of enamored with him in the same way that they were uh, last year. And, and man, that's cool. I think he went to Memphis. They're just pumping out guys left and right year after year after year. What does that kind of tell you over time that tells you, okay, well, are these guys all world beaters or are these guys playing against competition that maybe isn't up to par? Are they playing in the easier conference? Are they playing in a scheme that really utilizes uh, running backs in ways that are appealing to the NFL? I think those questions need to be asked as well, especially if we see another great crop of rookies come out of Memphis in, in the next uh, two or three years. So I, I do think that Daryl Henderson is a good player. I, I think that uh, his – his value, his his you know uh, ability to to, to kind of make people fall over themselves for him has has definitely outpaced what he'll actually give you in terms of a week to week starter uh, in any type of fantasy league. And let's not forget that uh, Frank Gore is still out there, so they could easily add him, and the great one <laughs> that lives forever could easily take those touches. Devonta Freeman too. He'll probably retire before Frank Gorbel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of it. 100% sure of it. I'll be dead long before Frank Gore is, and I'm at least 15 years his junior. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, Aton, what's what's a player you think whose value could spike between now and April, or now and September? So, when, when is this podcast coming out? Like, before the draft or after the draft? I just want to know how stupid I'm going to sound. Okay. Before the draft. <laughs> okay, okay. So... <laughs> The reason that I said that is this can go very, very right or very, very wrong, depending on what happens uh, in the draft in the next week or so. But as of right now, all things considered, right now at this very moment, I'm interested in Steven Simmons, man. I'm interested in Steven Simmons because he's a wide receiver that's not going to cost you anything right now, okay? He showed uh, last season that, that he can be very, very useful um, in that Washington offense, which was a disaster, right? That Washington offense was one of the slowest teams in the NFL in situation neutral pace last season. But their new coach, Ron Rivera, that came from Carolina, 
actually ran the fifth highest situation neutral pace in the NFL last season. So I expect that team to run more plays. I expect that team to be down in passing situations often. And I think that just means more and more love for a guy that has shown that, you know, maybe his combine numbers of, of you know, just running a, a 4 6 one and just having a 7th percentile speed score isn't really what his profile is. I mean, I saw Jets last year on television. I saw him burning defenders. And if this is what he can be in that offense alongside Terry McLaurin on a team that's going to have to pass a lot to even stay in games, then yeah, I mean, give me give me all the Steven Sims. When you look at uh, some of Josh Hermsmeyer's metrics on airyards.com, uh, you'll actually find uh, that his uh, Whopper, which is his weighted opportunity ratio, um, which, is, which is one of the most holistic wide receiver stats you'll find out there, was very, very close to Adam Thielen. It was very, very close to Juju Smith-Schuster, to Michael Hardman, to uh, Brandon Cooks, to Kenny Stills, Alshon Jeffrey, T.Y. Hilton, maybe guys that you weren't in love with last year, but guys that you wouldn't expect him to be grouped around. So I really do think that there is talent there if he's given the opportunity to be the number two. Now, like I said, they go ahead and draft a receiver or three, and this goes out the window completely. But for right now, I think Steven Simmons may be a guy to to make you some money and not cost you anything to do so. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, actually, we were helping somebody with their uh, their latest draft, and uh, it was getting towards the end of the basically the end of the draft and he had like three names that he kind of threw out there and Sims was one of them and uh, it was like you know should I go with uh actually I want to say there was still like Marcus Mariota and a super flex uh Sims and then there was one other player that I'm forgetting right now but uh you know basically I said well sorry it's super flex and you know Mariota has that chance to take over for Carr so I'm I'm going that way but you know like like you said it was the end of the draft. So, I mean, it's, it's basically like no cost whatsoever. So if you can, you can get them for that, then it, it definitely makes sense. Um, I'm not necessarily a believer, but I mean, I don't know how you can, I mean, the whole, the point of this podcast wasn't to say like, this is who I'm a believer in necessarily. It's like, this could be something if everything goes right. And so if that's the case, if Harmon gets hurt, if Harmon just doesn't really do anything, uh, McLaurin gets hurt, like whatever, they don't go out and draft anyone of significance, that kind of thing, then he definitely could be something. So I, I can't really make an argument against it. And, you know, once again, we're just talking about somebody who might be rising up the boards. And I've heard his name probably five times in the last three days. So I would imagine that he's going to be rising up some boards. Actually, I have I have some connections with uh... – a friend of mine who is involved with the Washington football team and in the drafts that I'm in with him, he has been snatching up Sims way earlier than any of his ADP stuff. And so um, we kind of asked him about that a little bit. And he was like, yeah, I may, may or may not know some things about what's going on. So maybe Sims could be a guy that they're actually looking to, to utilize a little more next year or that they might have a little more belief in than, than we think. Um, so I definitely like the pick. The only thing I would say against it is, you know, and Aton already touched on it was like the athletics. Um, usually when you're, when you're looking at like a slot receiver, you know, like a Wes Welker or somebody that's just going to blow up and like take over the world, you know, you're looking at somebody that, that's five, nine, 184 pounds, like Sims is um, you're probably talking about like a crazy agility score, crazy burst score, like something to that effect. And he has nothing. I mean, he's literally in the 26th, seventh, sixth, 
12th and or ninth, I'm sorry, ninth uh, percentile of like every single metric that they look at. Um, now he does have an early breakout age and, and things like that. So, I mean, not to say that he doesn't have anything in his profile, um, but you don't find too many undrafted five, nine, 184 pound receivers that like end up doing too much. Uh, but you know, once again, we're kind of just like, you know, <laughs> picking straws at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? Look, every analytically minded um, person, any analytically minded uh, fantasy analyst will tell you, okay, be wary of outliers. I get it. This is definitely an outlier. That said, without those Jets, with being slow and unagile, he had 1.9 yards of target separation on each and every one of his passes last season. That's 10th in the league. He had 0.58 fantasy points per pass route last year. Of course, a lot of those were touchdowns, but man, if he's getting targeted in the end zone, he's earning those targets in the end zone, regardless of whoever else is on the field at that point. So um, I just think that, again, if, if everything goes right and Ron Rivera decides that he has needs elsewhere, and he definitely does have needs elsewhere in Washington, there could definitely be some, some talent had very very cheaply in acquiring Stephen Sims right now. Alrighty, so I guess that brings brings mine up. Um, I'm gonna save the good one for last so that me and Aton can really go at it and uh, you know start start throwing some bows. But uh, for for now, I'm gonna keep it simple. I guess I'm kind of picking up where uh, where Crescent left off with the Rams because obviously the Rams have kind of made the the biggest moves as far as like sending people away and. Um, you know, so he went the running back route, and I'm kind of going the wide receiver route with uh, with Brandon Cooks being traded away. Uh, I, you know, once again, they do have some picks, but they have a lot of needs. So it's just one of those things where where are they gonna where are they gonna make those picks? Where are they gonna you know use those picks and utilize those picks? And actually, I just looked it up. Um, I was actually mistaken. It's two seconds and two thirds that they have, and then they have a fourth. So, I mean, they do have some capital that they can use, and, and maybe it will be a, a running back and maybe it will be a wide receiver. Uh, now, if it's a third-round running back, those usually have more of a chance of actually, like, getting on the field in year one. Third-round receivers don't always see the field in, in year one, and even if they do, they don't always, like, make a, an actual impact in year one. So, you know, it doesn't mean just because they draft somebody that they uh, that they would actually be using them right away. Uh who I'm going to be talking about tonight is Josh Reynolds. Now, obviously he's been on the team for, I believe this is going to be his fourth year now. And uh, so he's going to be like, this is a contract year, which, you know, some people like love those narratives and, and everything. The man's trying to get paid, trying not to get uh, sent away, whatever you want to say about it. But the fact is, is that Reynolds has actually filled in pretty well uh, when uh, anyone's gotten hurt. When Cup went out in 2018, uh, Reynolds came in and actually had a pretty decent year. Uh, but when, and then last year when Cooks missed what two games, then uh, Reynolds, you know, filled in pretty admirably, you know, then as well. So his snap share jumped up to into the hundreds. Like literally, I, I, his snap share was uh, 95.1% while uh, Cooks was out last year. So obviously, you know, they were utilizing him in that three wide receiver set, which they used 58% of the time last year. Now everyone's going to say now those last five weeks of the season, they went to the two tight end set. And so obviously the three wide receivers aren't going to be out there all the time if they're doing it that way. I'm kind of, I mean, I guess this is hoping at this point and maybe that's not the best way to like analyze, but I'm kind of hoping that maybe uh, 
<laughs> Sean McVay can actually like utilize more than one game plan and maybe kind of like game plan to his opponents rather than just being like, this is what we're going to do all the time. And maybe he's learned his lesson to where it's like, Hey, on a you know game where we need to run the ball a little more, we can do the two tight end set. And then in a game where we need to throw a little more or we're behind, then we can go ahead and utilize the three wide receiver set. Um, and if that's the case, then I could see Josh Reynolds being in there, you know, quite a bit. Like I said, he was up in the 95th, uh, 95% uh, snap share while Cooks was out last year. And even the year prior, he was up in like the 80s and 90s then. Uh, so I, I could definitely see him seeing the field a lot more. But, you know, even in like August or, you know, in the preseason games, him just being out there quite a bit, I think is going to make him jump up the boards, um, you know, as far as ADP goes. In March uh, on DLF ADP, he wasn't even drafted. And now in April, only you know a week after the Brandon Cooks trade, he's already jumped up onto the board. Now, it's not very high. Um, he was being drafted uh, 216th overall in uh, April, April ADP, which was, I believe, the 81st wide receiver. So definitely not anything crazy. But, you know, like I said, it, he's not going to jump up into like the top 24 wide receivers or anything. But I could see him jumping up into like the 50s or 60s at something. I, I guess I guess my biggest concern is just I don't think that he's going to be starting on that team. Um, I think that they shift more to the tight end sets that Aton was talking about when they were at the 21 personnel. It seemed like they were the offense clicked better. Goff had a better month in December when they started to make that shift. Um, and I just I see it as being Cup and Woods outside and not as much time for Reynolds in the snaps. And I do think that they draft someone early because this is one of the chance. Like I said, they have Cup entering free agency soon. Um, they also have, you know, Woods is getting old. He's 28 and he's going to be out, out of his contract in a couple of years. So I think that they draft one. And if they draft a wide receiver, this is the draft to get one. Like there's going to be a ton of wide receivers that have a bunch of amazing potential that I think are going to be better than Josh Reynolds. And while the Rams haven't really visited with any wide receivers, I looked back at the, um, their draft picks over the last three years while McVay's been there, their offensive draft picks. They, the only person that they even visited, gone to their pro day, anything, was Daryl Henderson. And they moved up to get him. Outside of that, they, you know, Everett, Cup, Reynolds, John Kelly, none of them. They didn't visit with any of them at any point. And so it doesn't, like, even though they haven't visited with any wide receivers or anything like that, I actually think, you know, this is the draft that they're probably going to strike in that spot. And so I'm just not sold on Reynolds as a person. I do think, like, I think that next week his value is going to drop again. So, like, if you have him, I'd be trying to move him now in my mind because I'm not sure that I'll, we'll see his value rise. Um, and that's my concern with it. Last year, because we didn't have as many uh, games to go off of, uh, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to like dive into the numbers. But when in 2018, when Cup left, what, like week eight, week nine, something like that, um, you know, we actually had a, a decent, uh, you know, decent amount of time to actually look at it. And over that time in uh, 2018, Josh Reynolds had a 32.4% end zone target share and a 20% red zone target share. So Obviously, you know, like, like you said before, they weren't utilizing the two tight end sets before and everything. And, and a lot of things can and, and probably will change. Uh, but those were just some of the things that I was looking at where like he might not get like uber targets 
Um, obviously, I'm going to assume that those are going to go to uh, you know Cooper Cup and, and and Robert Woods and and even the tight ends and possibly Henderson or whatever running back they bring in if they do. Um, but he is the tallest wide receiver on the team um, as of right now, and so they were using him as a red zone target. Uh, in 2018 he didn't really have the chance in 2019 but I could see him being kind of that red zone target again and kind of like what you were saying with uh, Steven Sims before like yeah you might not get 20 targets a game or anything but if you're scoring touchdowns then uh, you know I still want you on my team and for somebody that you can get as the 80th wide receiver off the board right now I'd I'd still be pretty happy with that I'd probably just hold on to him unless you can actually get something like I don't know what anyone's actually going to send you for an offer. I mean, if you can get like a second or something, obviously take it. But other than that, I think I would just hold and see what happens at this point. I have some fear with Cooper cup with Josh Reynolds, because last year um, we saw Josh Reynolds be the direct replacement for Brandon cooks. That was never Cooper cups role. And we talked earlier on the podcast about what cup uh, has so far shown to be able to do in terms of beating press coverage on the outside. Now, I'm not sure that Josh Reynolds is all that good at that as well, but in that situation, it wasn't just a matter of moving Cup to that role and then letting things kind of fall where they may. They, they definitely brought Josh Reynolds to do a specific job, and I think that they'll do the same thing again. Now, whether or not he's a guy that I value very much, again, I don't think this team is going to use three wide receiver sets in the same way that we've seen them use three wide receiver sets uh, moving forward. I think we're going to see a lot more running from this team. I think because of the deficiencies on the offensive line, we're going to see a lot more uh, 12 personnel uh, for this team. We're going to see a lot more tight ends uh, being brought in uh, to give Jared Goff those extra few seconds to go ahead and get some deep bombs off. So whether or not it's Cup or Reynolds in that role, I think has a lot uh, to to do with, with how either of those two assets should be valued in Dynasty. But Both Cup and Josh Reynolds are unrestricted free agents next year. So a decision is going to have to be made uh, with the the Los Angeles Rams. And I think the reason that the Rams are willing to take on so much dead cap this year, uh, it's something like 24-plus million that they're taking on this year, letting go of Brandon Cooks as well as Todd Gurley. They're doing that this year to position themselves for the future. And uh, I think that they're going to have a a real decision to make between, you know, what – wide receiver they want to keep long-term, whether or not Bobby, Bobby Trees gets a new contract here and, and whether or not they, they want to go ahead and spend that money on Cup as well. Um, so, again, just to, to kind of round it all out, I can see this going both ways for Josh Reynolds, but I, I really don't see him gaining too much value because I just don't think that the Rams are going to play the type of football that, that probably fits his skill set the best. Just, just to add on to what Aton was saying there about, because you mentioned earlier, John, like red zone and and Josh Reynolds being like a red zone threat and everything like that. Well, last year, like I feel like Tyler Higby filled that, right? He, I think he had nine targets inside the ten, which was you know I think top ten in the NFL completely. So and Cup actually had even more. Cup had ten inside the red zone, which is kind of like, a, he's like a sneaky red zone threat for, well, I mean, he's a safety valve for golf. I, I think everyone knows that. So I, I, I'm not sure if there's going to be a role there, but I definitely think there's a, perce- a perceived role that people believe, you know, people that don't pay as much attention to Dynasty, they might be thinking that he's going to jump into Cook's role. He's going to get 
you know, all cooked stuff, right? Because there's a lot of dynasty players that don't consider those things. So you might be able to, like I said, flip him now before, because I think once they draft a wide receiver, people are going to instantly believe, okay, they're going to keep cup and he's going to be gone. You know, we're going to see Reynolds jettisoned. So I think maybe you try to flip him now within this next week while people may still have belief in him or people may think he has that Woods or sorry, the Cooks role. Yeah. Well, kind of like what Aton was saying before, and you know, what Peter Howard was saying on a different pod was like, you know, players have to earn their targets. And obviously if, if that's the case, then one of the hardest positions to be would be the fourth receiver on the Rams. You know, when you're behind Cooks, Robert Woods and, uh, and uh, Cooper Cup. So that that's really tough but the thing is is that when he has had the opportunity like the three games like I was saying before in 2019 he got eight targets five targets and six targets and then if you go back to 2018 um you know it wasn't anything like amazing but after cup went out um in week 11 he had uh eight targets five targets seven twelve two and seven so, I mean, that's nothing amazing. It's not Julio Jones level or anything like that. It's not even Cooper Cup level, but it is a decent level. So, you know, once again, I think if he does get the opportunity, it could be something. Um, I'm not selling him for nothing, but if if I did get a second round pick off or something, I'm selling him. But, you know, other than that, you know, like, and I honestly, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that, you know, you had said Cooper Cup was an undrafted free or, you know, unrestricted free agent. Um next year and everything but I wasn't even thinking about the fact that hey you know Josh Reynolds could take that spot you know like that kind of thing so if that's the case then you know that kind of gives you even some long-term value I was really just thinking of it as like a you know this season kind of thing I think we'll we'll go on to my my second pick and so when I was trying to come up with names for this you know with this topic I was trying to think of who are players who people think are going to have a hit in value from the draft. And then who are players who may be able to gain value because someone in front of them is going to be cut or replaced. I know it's like really difficult to kind of predict cuts. Sometimes it's easier than other times. Like I know last year, Singletary's values absolutely took off once McCoy was cut, right? Like people just all automatically jumped on the Singletary bandwagon. And so I was trying to look at what's a, what's an opportunity an opportunity for that to happen this year. And I looked at the Minnesota Vikings and I think Irv Smith is going to become the tight end one on that team. Um, I was looking at particularly like the situation that the Vikings have. So the Vikings, they lost some defensive players this year and Cook is up for a new contract. And I know the Vikings have expressed interest in making that extension work. CMC's contract that just happened probably pushed Cook's value, you know, what he wants up a little more. So maybe we're going to see, you know, a big, a little bit of a bigger price tag on Cook's and what the Vikings will have to sign him to. And so we also saw the rumors of OBJ, you know, going to the Vikings, even though that was shut down by the Browns. That doesn't, you know, where there's smoke, there could be fire. And with all that said, the Vikings don't have a ton of cap space. Like they have a decent amount, but they still have to sign their rookies. And they also are, you know, they lost their defensive end. They're looking to maybe sign one of them. We're kind of waiting on um, Clowney's deal to kind of drop before we see some mega moves there. And with that, cutting Kyle Rudolph right now would save them $3 million, But if they designate him as a post-June 1st cut, it saves them $9 million, Or sorry, $7 million. And so with that, 
that gives them that extra space to make a move to get someone like an OBJ or to sign Cook to his extension or to sign some defensive players that they probably desperately need at this point. And with all that, we also saw Irv's involvement in the offense grow, right? He had over 60% snap share in every week after week eight minus week 17, which wasn't really a week that anyone really played. Um, he obviously has a lot of talent. He was drafted in the second round. I know that he was kind of an afterthought in that Alabama offense, but he still was absolutely amazing. His, um, he showed last year to take advantage of the opportunities when he was given. He had a few really big games. And I know it usually takes tight ends a few years to kind of make that leap, but Irv Smith has kind of already shown that he, you know, he's capable in this offense. And we know Kirk Cousins love his, loves his tight ends. And there's not really anyone else out there in that offense to kind of throw at. Even if they draft some rookie, some rookie wide receivers like we talked about, it's going to take some time, particularly with limited offseason and limited um, rookie training camps and all that stuff that's happening right now as a result of the COVID-19 situation. I think we can see Irv taking a big jump anyways, but once someone like Rudolph gets cut, his value goes up even more. And I know he's already on a lot of people's lists as like a sneaky tight end, but he's still being drafted. I think what tight end 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range in a lot of drafts. So I think we could see that move up into, you know, maybe the tight end eight, nine range potentially. Yeah. I definitely don't recommend uh, drafting Wookiees. I've heard that they don't, they cannot catch, but <laughs> that's just me. They make pretty good O-linemen though. That that might be true. Um, yeah, I was looking at it right here. Uh, you were saying Smith. Uh, yeah, he's uh, right now he's being drafted as the 15th uh, uh, tight end in Dynasty Startups. So that's definitely – he's creeping up there. Um, did you mention – I know you were talking about the cap hit. Were you mentioning uh, the dead cap? No, I'm just talking about the savings that they would have. So, like, they would have $7 million in savings if they designate him as a post-June 1st cut. I was using um, overthecap.com to get those numbers. Okay, yeah, I was looking at Spotrack, and uh, and yeah, he has the seven million uh, base salary, eight point eight cap hit, but he has a twelve point eight dead cap, and I don't know, like Minnesota is so like cash strapped, like and, and everything, or cap strapped, I guess I should say that uh, I don't know that they're just gonna cut a guy that you know is is playing okay at least just to like save a little bit of cash when it's not going to help their cap at all. So unless somebody's going to trade for them and, and take over some of that cap or, you know, however that, that works, then I, I don't know. I mean, now it, to your defense, it's saying here that there's a potential out in 2020 and that kind of thing that they could get out of the, the deal. But I don't know. Obviously we've seen teams like the Rams, like we were just talking about go crazy and just say, screw it. We're going to, you know, get rid of all this, you know, all these players, even though it's going to you know hurt us this year. Um, so maybe they will do it, but that seems like a pretty hefty hit to take just to get rid of a guy. So just real quick, like if you're using stuff to look at cap for anyone that's looking at it, don't use Spotrack just because they literally get their information straight from over the cap. Over the cap's like the place that you should be looking at contracts for. And if you oh. go to over the cap and you click on the, you know, I went to the Vikings right now and I clicked on it. You can click cut post June 1st and it tells you how much dead money, which would be 1.4 million and how much cap savings they would have from that, which would be 7.3 million. So that, that's where I'm getting that information from. That's, and I learned that just like maybe a month ago. So someone was talking about how 
Spotrack actually gets their information from OldCap. They like rip it literally straight from the website. And they've even like mentioned that in the past. Hey, that's, that's good to know. I definitely didn't. Um, but I mean, the whole, the whole thing with the, the June 1st thing is, you know, it spreads it out over two years. So, I mean, does that just basically mean that the, you know, it's one point something million this year and then, you know, 10 million next year? Like I, I, that dead cap doesn't just go away, I don't think, unless Spotrack's just completely wrong with their number. But Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting situation. I just think if something was going to be done with the Kyle Rudolph situation, that it would have already been done uh, going into the draft so that the team kind of has clear priorities of what their needs are. Uh, if tight end was really a need for them, because I don't think that Herb Smith can be an inline tight end. I think there are definitely um, different roles that these two tight ends play on that team that are very unique to the player playing that given role. Now, before last season, Kyle Rudolph would never be thought of as a blocker, even though he's just this gigantic human that probably should have tried a little bit harder to do so early in his career. But last year, he was more of a blocker. They, they kept him more in line. And they allowed Irv Smith to be the H-back that he is. Irv Smith's only 6'2". Um, I don't even think he's that heavy. So I, I just think that these guys play such unique roles that I don't necessarily seeing that, see that happen. But, yeah, as you guys were saying, if a rookie wide receiver uh, isn't brought in early, Irv Smith is, is, is definitely going to be the guy to benefit from that because we already saw that uh, a little bit into uh, the mid to, to end of last season. We saw the Vikings – being more and more uh, open to, to throwing Irv Smith's way, I would just say that there's just not enough volume in this offense for me to get overly excited about anyone. You know, like there are a number of teams out there that are just completely against opening up and airing it out and having all the pass attempts in the world uh, to go ahead and try to win games that way. The Vikings think that the way to win in the NFL is to be a run-first team, uh, so pass only when absolutely necessary, uh, to pay Dalvin Cook what CMC got, $16 million plus a year for a running back, which is absurd. That's how Mike Zimmer wants to run his program. He's fired offensive coordinators in the past because they were unwilling to run that program. So whether or not I'm interested in whoever the true number two is in purple and gold, I don't know. I think I was interested in Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs is Stefan fucking Diggs. Outside of that, I, I don't really know unless we're seeing like a superstar talent coming in to, to be that number two guy uh, in, in purple and gold going into the 2020 season. Yeah, that's the thing with, uh, with Irv Smith. Like he's 21. He's only, he'll be 22 when the season starts, basically. Like if he, if he really does truly break out, and I know that's not what we're saying at this point. Like we're we're really just talking about like if, if Rudolph goes away, obviously he's gonna jump up in ADP. But if he does actually break out this season, like that would be huge. I mean, that would be like Gronk stuff, you know, at that point. And he would probably be on like a Hall of Fame trajectory at that point. Um, I mean, he had some targets last year. He, you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily do anything amazing. Uh so, you know, once again, we're not really saying calling for a breakout or anything, but the fact that he's already being drafted at, at 15. Now I can go back and look at March's uh, here. Let's look at March and see if that really tr changes anything for him because uh, 15 seems like it'd be kind of tough for him. It, you know, even if Rudolph goes away, like how high is he going to jump? Maybe he'll jump up to 12 or something like that. Um, all right. So he did take a little bit of a jump from the March ADP. He was at 20th and now in April he's at 15th. So he's already kind of taking a jump. 
and kind of like what I was saying with Reynolds where he was, you know, wasn't even drafted in March and now he's at what 216. So, I mean, they're kind of already moving that way. And so he could make a, you know, maybe he'll be a top 12 uh, dynasty startup uh, tight end when it's all said and done. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just the issue with tight ends is, you know, after like one through five, like, do you care anymore? Is there anybody worth really caring about anymore? I mean, like, six through whatever is basically interchangeable. Like there, there just isn't enough volume going to the tight ends uh, with all the, the increased volume to, to running backs in these offenses uh, that we're seeing uh, as a trend over the last few years that, that yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's boom or bust like to the nth degree with these guys. So yeah, I absolutely think you can be a top 12 tight end. Do I think a top 12 tight end is going to be, any significant point difference between the top 12 and the 27th tight end? I don't know. No, I, I mean, I agree with that. And I was, my focus point when I was looking through these was to think of people who just like whose value I think is going to be increasing. And yeah. so not necessarily that I think Irv Smith is even worth, you know, more than any of these other guys. Right. But there are people who are going to think that because if something like this happened, they're like, Oh, Irv Smith for sure. Number two in that offense. Second thing I wanted to mention was last year was just absolutely the stone bottom, I think, for this passing game, right? They were 30th in attempts. I went back and looked at Kubiak's, like, coaching, which has been forever. But his last two years where he was, you know, more involved in the actual game planning and everything like that, they were middle of the road in pass attempts. So even if they move from 30th to, like, 20th in pass attempts, that still means extra targets are going to be somewhere. Um, and I think, you know, kind of like we alluded to, like Irv's probably earned a little bit more of targets and he kind of has that athletic profile that is going to be more useful on that team. And we don't even know how, like, how is Adam Thielen going to be able to play next year, right? We know he's aging. He's already shown hamstring injuries. We know the precursor to hamstring in, to hamstring injuries is previous hamstring injuries, um, and everything like that. So maybe like, it could be one of those things where, Irv just is going to have way more opportunity than we even expect. Um, that said, like I said, I think like we already saw he's moved from 20th to 15th. We could, I, don't, I think it could be realistic that we see him move from 15th to 10th. And in some leagues, people, particularly like tight end premium leagues, people are going to want to pay for, the, pay for that. That's not my game. I'm not, you know, I'm a spray and pray guy when it comes to tight end. If I'm not getting Kittle, if I'm not getting Kittle, even then I'm spraying and praying because, right, Kelsey's up there in age. Ertz might be getting replaced by Goddard. He's up there in age, like all that kind of stuff. So I'm much more of a, a spray and pray kind of guy. Spray, you know, at the guys somewhere between 12 and 20 and hope that I can just pick the right streamers as I go. Hey, as long as you're not drafting Ingram, you know, that's that's all that really matters, right, Aton? <laughs> so we're jumping right into it then. We're, we're, we're doing right this. Let's do it. We're doing this. Let's do this. All right. So, all right. So my player is obviously Caden Smith. I've talked about him in the past uh, on previous pods. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go like a different way with it. Well, you know, obviously we're going to be talking more about the ADP. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to do like a comparison of, of him and Ingram because I didn't even realize it until about 30 minutes before the pod uh, started. But apparently Aton's a, a believer. He's a truther, if you will. And so I am, uh, you know, I, I brought up some stuff, you know, just going off of ADP right now, you got Ingram at 68 overall and you have uh, Caden Smith at 240 overall. 
So if you're asking me, I'm drafting Caden Smith all day long just based off of that. I want nothing to do with with, uh, and I don't want to say injury prone. Uh, so I'm not going to, but I want nothing to do with that foot based off of last year's injury and the fact that he's still not cleared for contact or anything like that. And I guess at this point, none of us are cleared for contact, but I mean, uh, you know, he, he wasn't like, they were saying that he wasn't even possibly going to be cleared for, uh, for contact and come OTAs and that kind of thing. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of time between now and then, and he very well could. And he's, there's been doctors that have come out and said that he will. So um, not a guarantee in any direction there, but just the fact that there's that question mark and we've seen a lot of foot injuries, whether it's a uh, Julio or, or Sammy Watkins or you know, any of those guys. And I want to say it's uh, Mike Taglier is, is the one that's always saying it on his pod where like he really wants to avoid uh, any guy that had a foot injury the year before the following year, because there always seems to be that reoccurrence or the the chance for reoccurrence, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not even necessarily going off of the whole injury prone label. I'm just really sticking to that one injury and saying that that could be a precursor to another injury. Um, and then honestly, if you look at the stats, if you look at the numbers, they were pretty similar as players. Now maybe Ingram had a little more upside, um, but Caden Smith had four top 10 tight end performances after week 12. So mind you, that's only what, six games. Uh, and so, or, or including week 12, I should say. And then uh, three top five performances in that time period. And then I thought I'd written it down, but uh, Ingram actually only had five top 10 performances in his games in the exact season, you know, before he got injured, obviously. So you know, obviously there was a little bit of turmoil going on at the beginning of the season, and I'm going to try and bring it up right here, but it seems like they kind of have uh, similar trajectories as far as their, uh, as far as their seasons. And I was kind of going back and forth with someone before and, and he was like, well, yeah, you know, Caden Smith can fill in, but he's not Evan Ingram. But I mean, if you look at, if you look at the game logs, uh, Ingram was first, 10th, 4th, 10th, 7th, that that was his top 10 uh, tight end, you know, finishes. And then if you look at, uh, if you look at Caden, he was at, uh, let's see, after he started fourth, 10th, fifth, and second. So those were his top 10 uh, finishes. So, I mean, it, it's not like he's, it's not like he's getting like 12th tight end or whatever. He's getting second tight end finish for the week. He's getting fifth tight end finish for the week. 21, even the fifth one was higher than the second one. It was 21.5 points and 17.8 points. So I definitely feel like he has that ceiling. Um, you know, maybe he's not as athletic and everything as Ingram, but I don't think it matters. I think we've seen that Daniel Jones wants to use the tight end and that's just, you know, part of their system. And so if Ingram's not there, whether it's via trade injury or, or whatever else, then I think, uh, you know, Caden Smith is, is going to be a part of it. And also Garrett wants to use a two tight end set kind of like they were using in, uh, in Minnesota. Uh, he used a two tight end set 22% of the time in uh, Dallas. So there's a chance that Caden Smith gets on the field, even if none of that other stuff even happens. So uh, I definitely do hear where you're coming from. Um, but for everyone that comes to me with, okay, well, this guy, you know, he, he has a foot problem. He's been injured. He's had lower extremity issues throughout his career. I will direct you to Leonard Fournette last year. And I would say, we don't know what we think we know about injuries. 
because everybody was off Leonard Fournette last year. Everybody was off Leonard Fournette last year because most people, a lot of people, even <laughs> not me, not me. <laughs> I, I wasn't either. I was all in. But a lot of people were out on him because of previous injuries. And like I said before, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get screwed. I think what that tells you is we just don't know what we think we know when it comes to injuries, period. So I'm not really going to put that into my analysis. Obviously, Evan Ingram has missed games. That's common knowledge. That's a fair point. Fine. But when you're actually looking at per-game averages of what Evan Ingram had to deal with versus what Caden Smith dealt with, context. Context. Evan Ingram is the number one target on the field when he's on the field. Caden Smith is not the number one target on the field when he's on the field. And this is borne out in the types of uh, quality uh, targets that both of these guys are getting. Caden Smith had uh, 6.1 target quality per player profiler, which was number nine in the league. That's what he was dealing with, and that's how he was able to put up his numbers. Evan Ingram had 4.7 target quality per player profiler, um, and that was 30th in the league. So that's what he was dealing with when he was on the field versus when Caden Smith was on the field. So obviously defenses are paying more attention to this guy and making it more difficult to complete a pass with Evan Ingram. When you look at yards per route run, Evan Ingram wins that as well. When you look at snap share, Caden Smith was on the field slightly more than Evan Ingram because they were trying to manage Evan Ingram's injury uh, most of last year and, and even the year before that. I don't think that there is any type of, of semblance of, of any of these guys being even kind of remotely like each other when it comes to their athletic profile when they're on the field. I don't think it's really a question what guy scares defenses more when they're on the field. And, and for that reason, I think that there's something to be said of just willing to have that upside on your team. I'm all about upside when I'm building a dynasty roster because – Yes, safety is nice. Safety is, at some point, going to get you to maybe the playoffs. But it's not going to win you anything. You have to go for those home run plays. If you get enough of those home run guys, maybe mixed in with one or two of those safe guys, then you have a winning roster that might actually get you a championship. If you have a roster full of guys that are going to be safe plays, you're not going to get anywhere with that. You're going to be in this wishy-washy, pretty much where the Broncos have been most of my time, uh, alive in this world outside of the Peyton Manning years and the late John Elway years, kind of in that situation where you're too bad to be good and too good to be bad. And so you don't necessarily get those high draft picks. You also don't necessarily uh, find yourself uh, ranked in those top teams or in those top contenders because you're not quite there yet. I, I think that's the difference between both of these guys. But I mean, what you're saying about him being equally as productive on the field I think that is definitely something that is true uh, between the two of them. But I think that there's a lot of contextual reasons as to why that is the case that don't necessarily get laid out when making that case for Gaden Smith versus Evan Ingram. Yeah, and that, that very well may be true. Um, but, you know, I also don't think that's going to change. So if, if Evan Ingram ends up not being out there, then, you know, I once again, I just think that Caden Smith could very well, you know, take that spot and run with it. I just see the fact that they, they were very similar as far as like their top end games, their low end games, like that kind of thing. It almost seems it's more of the actual, um, the actual system more so than the actual player. And I'm not saying that they're the same player by any means, because they're not, but it just seems like maybe it's more like when Daniel Jones needs his tight end, that's who he's going to throw the ball to. And, you know, when he doesn't, he just, he just doesn't. 
Um, but, you know, like I said, even even more so than Evan Ingram being gone or hurt or anything like that, I feel like Caden Smith is going to be on the field more this year regardless. Um, I think he earned that at the end of the season. And like I said, Jason Garrett's proven that he wants to do a two tight end set. Um, you know, even Blake Jarwin last season had, what, 43 targets, something like that, um, to – uh, Jason Witten's like 88, so something around there. And so, you know, even if you're looking at that, if he's being, he's literally being drafted as the 40th tight end off the board right now in dynasty startups, Caden Smith is there's only at least on my ADP, there's only one player that's being drafted lower than him. And it's CJ Uzuma. So I, uh, I don't know. I, at that point, if, if he stays around there, I'm keeping him. But I feel like, you know, once again, like during the preseason and everything, especially if Ingram's not uh, fully healed and, and, you know, d doing OTAs or anything, if there's OTAs, then, you know, I feel like he could jump up the boards pretty quickly because you're talking about Ingram's being drafted as the fourth tight end right now. So I could see uh, Caden Smith jumping up into the twenties at the very least. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. Just, you know, targets are earned. Uh, Evan Ingram, 8.5 targets a game. Caden Smith, six targets per game. There's a reason for that. Um, when you actually have a full team around both of these guys, then I think it'll be easier for both of us to evaluate their play kind of next to each other. But we haven't really had that scenario. It's been Evan Ingram out or Caden Smith not getting the looks because Evan Ingram happens to be playing that game, so on and so forth. So uh, I think we would kind of need a controlled environment where both of these guys have the full complement of players around them, and then we can kind of judge them uh, from there. And, and hopefully we'll get that this season. And I was telling yeah, you before that I – you know, I, I, before we started recording that, you know, I, I've been kind of going through all my leagues because I have Caden Smith in literally every league. And so I, I've been trying to trade away Caden Smith. And now I'm trying to trade for Evan Ingram. And uh, instead, because no one's willing to give me anything for Caden Smith, obviously he's going off the board as, as the 40th tight end. So like, what are they going to give me? So at this point, I'm trying to trade for Evan Ingram. The problem is whether it's injury or, or whatever you want to call it, like no one's, no one's discounting him at all. It's just like he's still the tight end four. And he was he was the tight end four last year. He was the tight end four the, the year before. But, you know, did that help your team? So I, I, I'm getting no discount whatsoever. And maybe I'm just bitter at this point because I'm just trying to shore up my tight ends. But I'm just like, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, I, I get the talent. I can see it. But, you know, like, there's got to be some kind of discount, man. It's interesting you're saying that he's going fourth. Because in the startups, I've done three startups now this, you know, during this quarantine period, he has not gone fourth in any of them. Like he's gone somewhere between, I think like seventh and 10th in almost every one of them because people are scared about the injuries and the injuries. Oh, wow. So I feel like when that happens, he becomes a buy. Like you have to grab him at that point because of what, you know, Aton's saying, like what he can be is, you know, he can give you wide receiver one numbers almost, right? Like, that's how good he's been. I remember what week one, he had something like 10 catches and 104 yards or some crazy like stat line that, you know, if you got that from your wide receiver, you'd be stoked to get it from your tight end. Like that's stuff that, you know, you dream of. So I, I think, you know, I often, when it comes to injuries, I turn to the guys I trust with injuries. Someone like, I know FF student doc, he just recently changed his Twitter handle, but he, he talked about Ingram and, you know, he mentions, you know, there's like a series of things that, you should be concerned about, right? From the Liz Frank to concussions and things like that. But the one thing Ingram has on his side is age. He's hella young. And as a result, like, it's tough. Like, we, 
the older guys, like they don't bounce back, but the young guys have that ability to because of the youth and right. Like Leonard Fournette, right. He's actually pretty young, even though he looks like he's 35, but <laughs> he actually, right. Is I want to say what he's like 25 and yeah, so he's, he he's 25. Back. Yeah. He bounced back and he had, you know, an amazing year. So that's the thing with Ingram is that because of that youth, it's really, really tough to predict how the, you know, how the Liz Frank will actually affect him. Um, and, you know, if they pick up his, his fifth year option coming up, then I think that kind of cements his value, Ingram's value right now. But if they don't, then yeah, Caden Smith's value through the roof, right? Like it's taken off. So, um, I mean, you could do worse things with your 28th, 29th pick in a startup draft and take Caden Smith, but um, I'm not sure if we'll see that value go up. Now, the lack of medical stuff going on and access to team trainers and all that could affect Ingram's rehab, and that's something I would be worried about. I think you mentioned that, but I don't know. I guess if I'm in startups, I'm trying to grab both just to ensure I have like the guy in the Giants organization because we like you stated like they just they love tight ends Jason Garrett loves tight ends look at Jason Witten and how he was a tight end one all his career now Jason Witten's a Hall of Famer so let's not compare Caden Smith Jason or anything like that but just like the tight end's a big part of Jason Garrett's offense and since he's the coordinator I think that we'll definitely see these guys utilized oh yeah oh yeah I think the overarching philosophy here when it comes to drafting tight ends is if you're not getting one of those top five, six, maybe seven guys, then yeah, what you guys were saying about just scattershotting it, getting as many potential uh, upside plays as you can, I, I think that's definitely the way to go. I think you're only really safe if you're drafting a Kelsey, an Andrews, maybe an Ertz, uh, and a Kittle. Uh, aside from that, something can definitely go wrong. Yeah, definitely. So, Aton, who... Who's your, your other player that you picked? Who's your second bat? My other player that I picked, uh, I really don't have any analysis for this outside of the fact that maybe Joe Mixon may not be signed or re-signed again next season, and that's Travion Williams. Um, there is going to be a hole in Cincinnati in the event that Joe Mixon is not re-signed, and we've seen it time and time again. Teams get infatuated with these running backs, sign these running backs to absurd contracts. And in two years, these running backs are on new teams, play for the Atlanta Falcons, and we don't know what happened. And I think that Christian McCaffrey is a special case. I think Alvin Kamara, when his time comes, which will be very, very soon, that'll either be this year or into next season, I think he might be a special case as well, just because he's kind of that hybrid uh, type of, of, of running back wide receiver. I think Joe Mixon can be that, but I don't think the Bengals are willing to use him that way. And if that's the case, he's already come out and said that he might be thinking about a holdout. The last time that somebody held out, Melvin Gordon held out, a star in Austin Eckler was born. You know, I think that these running backs maybe think they have more impact on games than, than they actually do. And that's not to take anything away from that position. I would be murdered to an absolute pulp if I was a running back in the NFL. So understand me when I say I'm not taking what they're doing for granted. But there are so many guys that can be uh, that type of, that can have that type of impact on a football field at that position just because volume is less earned rather than just given uh, to running backs. For a wide receiver, you're competing against at least two other wide receivers on the field during that given play. 
You're competing against the, the tight end for targets. You're competing against the running back for targets. There's a lot of stuff that you have to beat, or there's a lot of people that you have to beat out to that target on every single play. For a running back, I mean, it's not even that often that we see two backs on the field at the same time. They're really only competing against their direct backup. And once they win that job, the, the volume is fed to them. How many times you want to run is how often that running back is used. So I really do think that if we see this holdout from Joe Mixon, which may or may not happen this season, we could see a, a lot of, of, of Travion Williams. I actually sniped him for $1 more than, than John here in our, <laughs> our league. Like weeks ago, though, it was weeks and weeks ago. I don't even know why. We both just happened to put him in the waiver the same day, and I got him for a dollar more but now I'm like ready to go um that said I'm not sure the mix and holdout works out because of the new CBA and what's going on with it like from what I've understood is that if he doesn't report to training camp then he doesn't accrue the year that he needs to become a free agent and so then he's just under contract again the following year and so I think that's different than like the Melvin Gordon situation where he actually had to um, like he had, he had more power there and he could sit out and he only had to, you know, play whatever amount of games because he had already played, he already been in the league for four years, I think is what it was at that point. Um, that said, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on the new CBA, but that's what I've read from multiple sources. So I've heard too. I wonder how much Mixon, how much leverage Mixon really has and if he'll just end up playing it out. And then the Bengals, well, the Bengals have shown to be kind of petty. So maybe they just slap a franchise tag on him. Who knows what, what Brown is thinking in that situation. But if not, like if Mixon go, leaves and goes to another place, then, you know, they've stated multiple times they love Williams. Now he has to compete with Rodney Anderson, who John has, I believe. So um, that that's up for debate on like who's the better back and all that. And if they draft someone from the 21, you know, situation. But definitely I think we'll see. Williams value rise just because of the perceived threat of the holdout and because of the news and everything that's come out, right? I'm sure he's already being drafted way earlier than people were even thinking about, you know, this time last week. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, strictly for the, uh, the chance to be able to trade him away. Shouldn't we be talking about Rodney Anderson instead of Travion Williams? Because I have him on, on quite a few teams and, and I would definitely love to be trading him away. Um, and honestly, I was, I was even looking at his player profiler page and like, it's so tough. <laughs> the guy, the guy just can't stay healthy. I would love to like make, uh, you know, make it an argument for him. And, you know, once again, if, if you take away that injury prone label, maybe he just gets lucky or, or maybe he just has one of those years where he does the whole thing. And if that's the case, then he very well could be the running back. But man, I mean, the guy, the, the guy had like 200 total rush attempts in college. So I don't know how I could really make an argument for, for Anderson, uh, you know, too much, but it was just one of those guys where I, I can't let him go. And, uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't know what he's actually worth either. And I think it brings up a, a bigger point that like as dynasty owners, we really have to be paying attention to contract situations with these running backs. Like everyone knows that some of these running backs are right, are going into these, these final years to their deals, whether it be someone like Dalvin Cook or Joe Mixon, right? And next year we'll see it with Chubb um, and a few other Aaron people. Jones. And Aaron Jones, yeah, all these guys, right? Like, we need to be more cognizant of that as we go forward and thinking about 
who's going to be getting those second contracts. And I think that's what makes Zeke so valuable is that he's already locked in. Like the Cowboys ain't doing anything with him, right? Like he, he's going to be their back for the next probably three years at the very least. So that to me makes him valuable. Then it makes these other guys way more volatile. Um, although in Joe Mixon's case, I think if he went to a new offense, hell, it might be even better for him because Bengals don't seem to know how to utilize his passing ability or his pass catching ability. That's what I don't understand. If, if Mixon's going to hold out, why isn't Dalvin Cook holding out? Like it just, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, even almost like Kamara, like they're, they're all in the same contract situation. Like they're all in the same year. Um, and, the, and none of them were first round picks. So they don't have the fifth year option. So, you know, with, with Cook, he's even – we saw it last year, like, and, and Aton was talking about it before. Like, he's even a bigger part of the offense necessarily than, than Mixon. And so – and he has to know that. I, you know, I think I've heard it on other pods uh, before. Maybe the only reason is because he knows that they have no cap space, and so they can't give him anything, and so he's just not going to do it. But to me, that would make more sense than even Mixon holding out at this point. Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah, there. I mean, there, there's there's tons of reasons for these running backs to try to get paid as quickly as possible. We've seen most of their production comes before the age of 25, so that second contract is never a guarantee for any of these ultra productive guys uh, going in uh, into the NFL. So they should be they should they should be knowledgeable of that. They should know that going in and get paid while you can. You know, make hay while the sun shines, as they say. But um, yeah, I, I think that you know, it also pays to. It also pays to have a good relationship with the team, to, to have a positive relationship with the team. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, players should be more loyal than these teams that are cutting them left and right from contracts that they sign. But I, I think that there is definitely kind of give and take that has to be done um, between ownership and between uh, the players at the running back position just because of the depth of talent that's going to be coming in year in, year out. I mean, Travis Etienne, he was supposed to come out this year, right? Didn't happen. So he's in the draft next year. Chubb Arbert is going to be there next year. Uh, there are still more running backs uh, that are going to be available next year that are going to go out and take somebody's job. So if you understand that that's coming, like it also makes sense to, 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 to be a little bit more comfortable in your situation as long as you have one, knowing how easily – uh, you can be replaced. I think what's unique in Cook's situation too is his injury concerns. So that makes it difficult in finding like what's the right value, right? Like here's a guy that's torn his ACL multiple times. Here's a guy who has like consistent shoulder issues. Um, that said, you know, like I, I still, th- like I said, with the new CBA, I think people are realizing like you can't hold out with it anyways and you need to get this fourth year. And then you can go out and you can get paid and you can, you know, someone's going to pay Alvin Kamara, right? Someone's going to pay Dalvin, Dalvin Cook. Now, how much they're get paid, you know, who knows, but they've also shown that receiving aspect, which is kind of what probably helped, you know, McCaffrey get paid a little bit too. Um, hell, if I'm running back, I'm just trying to switch to wide receiver at this point. Yeah. I'm almost wondering if that got, kind of got snuck into the CBA because I mean, I, I know when they were debating everything before they voted on it, I didn't hear a single thing about like holdouts changing or anything like that. I didn't hear about it until really until like the the past week when, uh, you know, people started talking about Mixon's holdout. So it almost seems like no one even knew that like something had changed. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Mixon's going to hold out. And it's like, nah, he's probably not going to hold out. (laughs) There's actually been direct 
uh, confrontations with the league, with the NFLPA about specific uh, stipulations in the CBA being changed after the fact. So there are things that that might happen with the CBA, but people don't understand that most NFL players' career is – an average NFL player's career is three years. It's three years. So that's that's the amount of time these guys actually have to make money. So whenever you see – what seems like maybe the, the, the players agreeing to terms that they shouldn't, I mean, outside of the ultra rich in the NFL who, you know, are going to be fine regardless. I'm talking about like the quarterbacks that, that have, you know, 20, $30 million contracts signed for four years with 90 million of that guaranteed outside of them. A lot of these players really need to make sure that they're cashing in on this limited amount of opportunity that they have to do so. So, there is reason to go ahead and, and sign something that might not be a hundred percent what you want it to be. But yeah, going back to what I was saying before, some dirtiness happened. There, there has been some, some, some under the radar things going on with the CBA that the NFLPA even right now is, is trying to get to the bottom of. Yeah, I definitely was not paying attention to that at all. I, I hadn't heard it or, you know, obviously I wasn't looking for it, but uh, that would be uh, pretty shady stuff at that point. <laughs> But, you know, uh, one point I wanted to say about Dalvin Cook is, you know, Crescent was saying how he, you know, like he can't doesn't have like the contract demands or anything at this point because he's been injured. But at the same time, like that's probably why he wants a guaranteed contract because he's been injured. So, you know, like if anything, that almost makes it even more important for him to hold out so he can get that con- second contract and so that he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. Because at this point, if he gets if he gets hurt, like, I don't know how much of his contract's guaranteed or anything. Um, or if it's even guaranteed for injury in this year, uh, very well may be. But, uh, you know, it, he, he could basically be done at this point if he has another major injury, you know, whether it's a shoulder or knee or, or anything like that. So, so Aton, um, with the, the player or the NFLPA and everything, is that something that you just heard somewhere? Is it, do you have like an inside source? Like, are we, are we hearing like a, a first news here? You know what? Um, I had, uh, it was one of the, uh, NFL uh, beat reporters that I actually saw it from, and it was retweeted by the NFLPA, uh, I think a, a few few days ago, if not maybe a week or so ago. I don't have it right in front of me here, but it, it's definitely something that I, I got directly from, uh, from, from the league. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if the NFLPA is retweeting it or, or whatever, then it's probably pretty legit, or at least they feel like it's legit. So I don't know about you guys, but I honestly had a pretty hard time with this one. You know, we came up with the idea. Or actually, we didn't come up with the idea. One of our listeners came up with the idea for, uh, you know, coming up with some guys that could jump in value between now and, and September, you know, before the season starts and everything. And um, I actually had a pretty difficult time. I, I went through and just looked at the ADP of, like, people that I felt like didn't necessarily make sense. And uh, I didn't find too many guys that I thought could make a substantial jump. Now, you, you know, you might have a guy that was, you know, 16th last year and, and you know, he's going to jump into the top 12 and that kind of thing. And we've kind of already gone over some of those guys. Um, and so while we didn't necessarily give you any like studs that, you know, you're going to go pick up and, and, you know, trade away for a first later on in the year or anything like that. You know, you have to understand that, like, even if they if you pick up a guy for, you know, like Caden Smith for nothing and then he ends up being a top 12 tight end this year, like that's going to be pretty substantial. Um, You know, even if you can even if you can trade him away once again for like a second round pick or something uh, in September, August, September, like that's still pretty substantial for a guy that you're getting as the 40th tight end right now. 
and I'm not, I don't mean to just talk about Caden Smith, even though, you know, that was the whole point of bringing Aton on so we could just go back and forth about Caden and, and Evan Ingram the entire time. But no, um, you know, really any of them. Uh, obviously, Henderson's going to make a, a huge jump if he if they don't, you know, draft anyone of significance or anything like that. And, you know, so you have some people that already believe that. So he's already on the rise. Um, so if you can get him, if you have someone that doesn't believe in him and you can get him for cheap, it might be a little late now. Obviously, it probably would have been a little uh, better to get him before Gurley was, you know, cut and everything. But, you know, you can get these players and then, you know, get that value later on. That still helps you even if it ends up not being anything that's going to actually, like, necessarily help your team. Just to go quickly back on what I was able to find uh, with the NFLPA. Sure. So the NFLPA actually came out and said that the claims were unsubstantiated. But uh, the lawyer that uh, filed the claim did it on behalf of Eric Reed. Um, and I think that maybe some of the undercurrent of what's going on here is, again, what I was talking about before. There are players that have multi-millions. There are players that are making a lot of money and have made a lot of money and are kind of okay with things being in limbo with whether or not the season is supposed to start on time. And then yep. the, the, the vast majority of players that don't have all of that and don't have that safety net and are more willing to get this thing going as quickly as possible. So I think that's, that's kind of where this is coming from because I've, I've kind of over time got to the point where I, I believe if there's smoke, there's, there's probably fire. Yeah. I think Ross Tucker talked a little bit about the, the CBA on um, the dynasty theory podcast. And he was mentioning that, you know, like you, the only people we've heard speak out against the CBA were like a lot of big name guys, right? Like guys who've already made millions and millions and millions, but you know, 95% of the, the players aren't doing that. So they need, you know, they, they'll take the extra hundred thousand dollars. They'll take the extra game where they get paid more, things like that. So, but it'd be interesting to see Reed's complaint and what was being changed or what wasn't being changed allegedly. Um, but like we said, that's something we all have to keep in mind too, is what's happened with the CBA. And now like, you know, maybe before I would have panicked a lot more if I was a Joe Mixon owner, but now I'm like, he, he has like, he has nothing to stand on. So you know, he's going to play and, or he's going to show up to training camp at the very least. Right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he protests and sits at training camp. There's a training camp. If there's football at all, if football isn't if canceled. Football, right. Yeah. I know. We're trying to act like everything's normal. We're still doing our <laughs> podcast and writing articles and all that stuff. And then, you know, it's just, it, none of it's going to happen. And it's just going to be like, well, was it a waste or were we just filling all this time that we have anyway? Absolutely, absolutely. But it's something we love to do, so I'm glad we had a chance to do it anyway. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've seen Aton's been jumping on a lot of pods lately, and I'm guessing he's trying to fill some of this quarantine time. Obviously, he has his podcast. Uh, you know, like I said before, he's on the Dynasty Diagnostic. I, I personally love their show. Uh, him and, and Stompy have a great back and forth. Um, you know, just make sure you don't ever watch any of Stompy's videos. Like, you don't want to ever see that. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, um, you can follow Aton at which he actually just changed it, I believe. Uh, you know, uh, but you can follow Aton at, at, at Aton Alive. It's E T A N Alive, and on Twitter. And then obviously, uh, I believe it's the Dino Diagnostic at Dino Diagnostic on Twitter. Is that correct? Yep, that is correct. And so that's for the show. Uh, you know, once again, go ahead and, and check it out and everything. Uh, Aton, did you have anything else you wanted to, to bring up? You know, did you want to give us any like? breaking news or anything else you got <laughs> you know what guys i have this big 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 major news 
but you're going to have to wait 24 hours for it. Make sure you're watching my podcast <laughs> to get this news on the next show. And, and yeah, it, it'll be the biggest news you've ever received in your entire life. Wait, why, why'd your name just change to J on the screen? There <laughs> <laughs> we go. There we go. Well, hold on. Are you going to tell me that Von Miller has the coronavirus? <laughs> you know what? That was it. I was beaten to the punch. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh man, that's so funny. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I don't know what they were thinking. They were just trying to bring up those ratings, and it, I don't. I don't think it really worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they got more hate than ratings, but I mean, they know more than we do, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess any publicity is is good publicity, right? Absolutely, well, absolutely. Aton, we loved having you on. Thank you for you know for coming and joining us. We know like we're still kind of a, a small podcast, but having guys like being able to interact with guys like you just kind of shows how how amazing the the fantasy community can be, right? Like you you and Stompy have I feel like a pretty solid following, and you guys are pretty well known. And for you guys to be able to you know take time out of your days to to join you know a couple of lowly dudes here just shooting shooting the shooting the shit back and forth it's it's really nice to have hey man i appreciate that sentiment but we we are absolutely nothing in the space I, I do truly want you to know that um we're just really really been blessed with the guys who have been willing to, to give of their time and i encourage anybody that's doing this go out and, and and talk to people and you know ask people to come on the show and and, and interact with people as much as possible because you'll find not more often than not, because I've received way more no's than I have yeses, but you'll find that there are those people that are willing to give their time, that are willing to go ahead and, you know, give your podcast a bump or, you know, just at least give you some, some extra material to, to kind of go over. Um, I've done that when I've been lucky enough to have, you know, guys like JJ Zacharyson, like uh, Matthew Berry, like uh, Ian Harditz, like, you know, just a bunch of big guys in the community give their time uh, to get on the show. And I, I encourage everybody to go out and, and make those same connections and do the same because there's a lot of really, really nice people out there in the fantasy landscape. And I'm just trying to, to be one of those myself. Yeah. I feel like, you know, most of us, and obviously, you know, once again, like Crescent said, you know, we're not big time at all, but you know, even when you start getting into the big name guys and everything, um, you know, they just want to talk. They just want to talk football. They want to talk fantasy and that kind of thing. And so whether it's on a show that's going to get, uh, you know, a thousand views or 10,000 hits or, or a hundred hits, like they just want to talk. And, and sometimes, you know, like going back to the Peter Howard episode, you know, like me and him talked for like three hours, man. like we just, we just talked, you know, all of that didn't go into the show. And I kind of wish that I could have like put it all into the show and everything, but some of it, of it was just like us, BSing and and just like talking and and talking football and and just you know joking around and having fun and and uh that was awesome like that was really like amazing and unfortunately Crescent wasn't there for that one but like it would have been such a you know a cool episode and everything but it's just it's really cool you know even beyond the podcast and like putting it out there just being able to talk to guys get their opinions and that kind of thing and and the thing is, is that we're not always right you know, and, and uh, you know, so you bring somebody on and they talk about Evan Ingram and you're like, ah, you're an idiot. And then <laughs> next thing you know, Evan Ingram blows up and has a tight end one season. And it's just like, ah, crap, I was wrong. I'll but be Aton sure to was right. rub it in his face for you, Aton. No worries. <laughs> Every single person out there that you talk to, that you interact with in any aspect of life has something to teach you that you may not know. And that's yep. something that they have to teach you is something different than the next person and the next person and the next person because everybody's unique. 
So if you just have that open mind about you in your conversations, in your interactions with folks, you're so much more able to, to take what they have to, to, to offer you and, and change your mindset just that little bit to get more and more and more enlightened and ingratiated in whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, just keep that, that open mindset and man, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, definitely follow Aton at Aton Alive. Uh, check out his podcast if you haven't already. You know, like Crescent said, they're, they're big time, whether he wants to say it or not. Um, but, you know, if, if for whatever reason you haven't heard it yet, it's actually a great show and they really do a lot of things. Uh, and, and especially like with the, you know, really breaking down uh, a team each week, which is, a, you know, pretty cool feature and, and kind of gives you some insight into different teams and, you know, what they would do. Uh, so check that out. We're obviously going to be putting out a lot of pods. You know, we, we're trying to do about at the very least one a week, if not two a week at this point. Uh, so we'll be coming into your ears here pretty soon. But until then, we're cashing out. <laughs> <laughs>